This is Selects, Season 2, Episode 1, Life and Death. Today we've got three short pieces about loss, memory, ritual, and that weird membrane that separates this life from whatever. Let's begin. Two and a half years ago, I buried my beloved dog, Coltrane, in a little cave along the White River. And I haven't been back. I have had a thought to go and collect some of his teeth. Why on earth would you want to do that? Magic. This is my friend Leela. We're driving on Highway 216 in Central Oregon winding through deep forests of ponderosa pine. Leela methodically works her brown hair into a thick braid and drapes it over one shoulder. She believes in the magic of things, in the aliveness of objects. I wish I could too, but I don't. The tooth of a black dog is protection of some kind. Maybe it's a strange thing, but this is something my ancestors believed in. The world has seemed really crazy. I don't like using that word. The world has seemed more uncertain. There's so many people that I wish that I could protect. For the last several months, Leela has suffered a mysterious back pain. So I drive her truck and she directs me. She could use any magic that's left in this world. So who is this dog? I adopted him from the pound in Livingston, Montana when I was a teenager. And I was living up there in this sort of punk cabin, eating roadkill, and I just saw this puppy. It was just like total connection. And so I just adopted him and brought him back. I had him for 12 years. I feel like it's possible animals could have found him and worked his, all of his pieces back into the land completely. But I'm hoping that we'll find his like little doggy skeleton out there. Are you, would you be okay if, if, with whatever we found? I don't know. As we head east from the Cascade Mountains, the forest thins out into a dry, empty grassland. We turn onto a rutted gravel road and drop into a canyon full of oaks, willow, and alder. We cross the White River. We are far from home, in an enchanted wilderness. We see no one else. Okay, here we go. Two years ago, Leela carried the limp body of her 60-pound dog a hundred yards up the rocky edge of a cliff in the dead of winter. But now she struggles to make it up the hill, leaning hard on a wooden cane, having to stop and rest every few minutes. The doctors can't say what's wrong with her. Good job, buddy. 
She says she wants to find her dog's teeth to protect the people in her life, but I'm hoping they can do something else for her. Look, this is a biscuit root. She knows every flower and tree on this land. You dig up the root and you peel off this outer skin and they just taste like bread, straight up. We carry on over boulders, pushing aside oak branches, following what doesn't seem to be a path exactly. Do you know where we're going? No. Is that okay? Um, <laughs> do you have a sense of where we're going? It seems that we're lost. The cave, Leela says, is on one of the rocky outcroppings that line a steep cliff down to the White River. I think it must be just on the other side of the cliff. To me, every outcropping looks the same, but we keep looking. Could it be lower? No. Doesn't seem like it. What if we don't find it? I'm beginning to lose hope that there's anything for us to find here. No magic, then. No magic teeth to protect Leela from her pain. But then I scramble down a steep slope of loose rock, across a stone shelf, and... Oh my god. Leela! Yeah? It's here! Yeah! Inside a tiny rectangular cave is the perfect skeleton of Coltrane. A patch of dark fur is still matted to the skull. The remains of one paw are draped over the rest of the bones. Here he is. Hey, buddy. Aww. He died really fast. He had this wound that never healed on his paw. And when I took him in, they biopsied it, and it was cancer. And I guess it had already spread. And guess what? What? I see a lot of dog teeth. Yeah, there's some dog teeth in here. Leela pries two teeth loose with careful hands. Nice teeth, Coltrane. The really weird thing is that Coltrane and my dad had cancer at the same time, skin cancer at the same time. And one of the things I thought about of why dog teeth were protection is that a lot of people from traditional culture hold the belief that like your animals hold a part of your soul and that they can take things that w were would otherwise come to us, you know? I mean, they were saying my dad had just like a few percent chance of surviving and like he's totally fine. So I don't know. Before we leave, she stacks up a wall of stones to cover the entrance to Coltrane's cave, humming to herself. We walk back to the truck. Leela clutches the teeth of a black dog in one hand, her cane in the other. I have no doubt she found the magic she was looking for. I just hope she keeps some of it for herself. Square Mile is produced by me, Joel Shupak. 
Music this episode from Blue Dot Sessions. Check out squaremilepodcast.com, where you'll find a link to the original four-minute version of this story. More episodes on the way. That voice sounded familiar. That's because a fiction piece of Joel's was featured on episode four. So Joel is still working at Square Mile, and he's soon going to be joining uh, the team that makes Israel Story. So congrats to Joel about that. So the way Selects works is independent producers send in clips of their podcasts. I curate them, put them up here for you to listen to. Um, If you like them, please go subscribe. You can subscribe to them from the show notes or also from our website, selects.show. And while you're there, you have the opportunity to give people a little bit of feedback, and you can also vote on the piece that you like the most from each episode. Um, And the winner of that vote will get $100 and some audio prizes that have generously been donated by sponsors. The sponsorship is is just for those prizes. I'm just kind of making this for the heck of it. So anyway, please go to the website, selects.show, vote for your favorite piece, and also give the creators some feedback. Now that that's aside, next up is a piece that I felt like had some kind of strange synchronicity with the the piece that we just heard from. Hoo, 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 and you'll, they'll stop. And you can almost hear them saying, who the hell's that? This is Daryl. I'm a healer. I'm a giver. I love to bake. I love to cook. I love to give it away. I love people. I love animals. I'm not exciting. I'm five foot two, too heavy, just a typical little old lady. Daryl Whiting lives down a dirt road in New Gloucester. Her license plates read Old Hen, and the living room bustles with her animal menagerie. So, first the four dogs, we've got Raven, Mandy, Molly, and Rudy, fat little Rudy. Then we've got the little blue parrot here that bites like a son of a gun. What's their name? Oh, little blue bird. When he bites me, it's not that nice of a name. Oh, there's the big old frog. Oh, my God. Easy, Hector, easy. Hector has teeth like a pit bull. I mean, he bites. Oh, Hector, you're such a good boy. What does Hector eat? Hector eats... There's also a baby snapping turtle, another parrot, four little marsupials called sugar gliders, a flying squirrel, three guinea pigs, and three rabbits, Maybelline, baby doll, and tugging at my heartstrings. Being surrounded by animals is no new thing for Daryl. She grew up nearby with all kinds of pets. Her family even rehabilitated a baby bear, and raccoons routinely slept in the chicken barn. They would come back year after year and bring their babies and get up in the bed with me, and then out the door they'd go again. I mean, I'd talk raccoon. (laughs) (laughs) I wish you could feel their hands. What do they feel like? Soft, soft, soft. Softer than baby skin. I can worship just as well going out into the woods and looking at nature and listening to birds and looking at the sky as I could in any church. The same woods and animals that brought so much joy to Daryl's youth were also the things that taught her to accept death. 
He was a little bay horse, had a little star on his head, black mane and tail and black legs. He came to us. He was supposed to be a, a man killer, not trainable. Um, my brother had me on him day one, riding him bareback. I'd take a book. I'd lay back on his butt and read. And my brother tried to buy him from the man for me, and the man wouldn't sell him. And he took Star back home, and Star ended up losing a leg in barbed wire. And then they put... They had to put him down, down. Yeah. 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 I feel sad unless the animal is just so sick. Living is not a pleasure anymore. And in that case, euthanasia is a gift. You're releasing them from pain and sorrow. And if you're there and you're holding them, they know that somebody cares. When she learned that some people don't stay with their animals while they're put down, Daryl was stunned. And I said, you didn't stay there? No. I didn't feel the need. I said, you needed to be there. That animal needed to know that you were there for them. And somebody else heard me talking about it there at work, and they said, well, when I have to have my cocker spaniel put to sleep, will you take him for me? And I said, yes, I'll take him for you. Since then, she's been present for many animals' last moments. When the owners don't want the remains, she even buries them in her yard, along with her own pets. There is one dog down that way. What dog is that? That was Betsy. She was a darn nice dog. Right under this rose of Sharon, there's a few little guinea pigs. The grass is dotted with peach, apple, and pear trees. Her garden of strawberries and asparagus is becoming overgrown. Tall pines surround us, dampening the noise of the highway. Death is only the body dying. And you know, the body is just the container anyway. I, I figure I'm, I'm a jar of sour dill pickles, I don't know. Daryl also learned to face life and death, working for over 30 years as a nurse at the local maternity ward. Take care of moms and babies and teach moms how to take care of babies and if there was a sick baby, they would holler for me to go take care of that because I'd done it so many years that I was very comfortable with it. She remembers one infant with so many birth defects that the baby wasn't going to live. She was really a tough-looking little kid, but to me she was beautiful. I wrapped her up and I held her until she died, and it took eight hours. Sometimes after her nursing shifts, People would ask Daryl to be with their sick family members. She recalls a man named John. And he fought for a couple of days, and I finally said, I said, John, your wife is fine. Your kids are fine. Your family is fine. It's time to go, so stop it. And he stopped breathing, and they all looked at me like, and he went. But in 2011... Daryl was forced to quit nursing. She was diagnosed with breast cancer, and the following year, ovarian cancer. I retired when I was doing my second round of chemotherapy. I was tired. Are you cancer-free now? 
not necessarily. In, in remission? Well, I had a CAT scan a few months ago and it showed something suspicious in both lungs. Oh. What happens, happens, right? The thing is, among reuniting with Star and the rest of her menagerie, Daryl's got a pretty busy afterlife planned. First of all, I'm going to go find out, are UFOs real? Is Bigfoot real? Is God real? And is God what the Bible says and the church says? And so I'm going to learn and then I'm going to teach. What are you going to teach? I don't know, but I know I'm going to be teaching, I think I'm going to be teaching spirits to accept. And then I'm going to heal spirits that are injured. I already do that, so might as well keep it up. Everything dies. Even the sun's going to die someday. And that's just part of the process. It's like I think of myself as a sunflower. <laughs> I sprouted, I grew, I had kids, and I'm going to go to seed. That was by Tressa Vierstig. So I gave creators the chance to ask listeners a question. So Tressa wants to know if you have any advice for how the narrative arc of that nonlinear story could be improved. Um, so if you have any thoughts, please go to selects.show, click on listen slash vote. And on the page where you vote, there will be a little box there. You can answer her question and, and put any other comments. Um, Tressa says that she's new to the field and looking for work. So if you like what you heard and you know of something, please let her know. All right, on to our last piece. Larry Mortel was a barber. His daughter Fran says that when customers entered his shop, he'd collect their stories like souvenirs. She also saw his other side, tattered t-shirts and playful sarcasm, and his music. He had a very particular taste in music. He loved classical music. The older he got, it was clearly, strictly classical music. Even at 93, Larry was physically fit. Fran says he would turn every chore around the house into a mini workout. Whether he was reaching something from the cabinet, he would get the step stool and make that, like do 10 repetitions up, down, you know, that was an opportunity to do an exercise. Four years ago, Larry died at Fran's house. Fran was unprepared. She had no idea what to do next. Then we're faced with, oh my God, he died. You know, like he died. What do we do now? Fran says that her father had lost the will to live. He was severely depressed. So caring for him in his last few months was difficult. Still, Fran knew she wanted to continue doing it for just a little longer. It felt natural. Her sister Sue and her three nieces were there to help. I think what we immediately did was join hands and embrace that moment. Fran and Sue then cleaned their dad Larry's body with frankincense oil. They lit 15 candles and placed them around his bed, one for each person in the family. Then a nurse came to pronounce him dead. Her wanting to be helpful said, well, which funeral home should I call? But the idea of involving a funeral home felt unnatural to Fran. She knew that her dad wanted to be cremated, but he'd left no other instructions. She wondered, 
What if she could be her father's funeral director here at home? That's when she thought of Heather Massey. She called and said, it happened. Heather is a home death guide. I am really there to help people with making after-death care plans for their loved ones. In other words, caring for the body at home or within community. Heather had arranged a home funeral for her mother two years earlier. When Fran heard about it, she was intrigued. She didn't know it was even legal to care for the dead at home. On the phone, Heather told Fran to act fast. You know, you have 24 hours before you really have to start chilling the body and keeping the internal organs from decomposing. You know, you really have to get ice on him. Bathing them, cooling the body down, dressing them. Very, very, very thorough cleaning of the body. Temperature of the water. She had the ice packs for us. Types of soap to use. Now she's handing us cotton swabs. Good for getting into the nose cavity. When Fran got home from Heather's, it was dark. She was overwhelmed. She'd never dealt with a dead body before. Plus, this was her father. We were a little weirded out. (laughs) You're taking this cotton swab and putting it up deeper, but you're not sure if you're hurting them. And between my sister and I, we just said, look, let's get a good night's sleep. When Fran and her sister Sue woke up, they felt ready. They got to work cleaning their father's body, quietly and deliberately. Then they placed packs of ice over his organs and dressed him in clean clothes. And we weren't grossed out. It was, it was what we had to do, and we were going to do it with love. It was amazing, the transformation that we went through overnight. Fran kept her father's body for four days. On top of preserving the body, there was a death certificate to file, a coffin to buy, a permit to get at town hall so they could transport the body themselves, and a party to plan in his honor. Everyone in the family had a task. Small rituals. But at first, Fran says they didn't know how to act like themselves around death. We were taking this very seriously. Even though the house was full of family, it was silent. But then, late on the second night, Fran heard coyotes howling in her yard. She says she's always looking for symbols and wondered what that meant. It just seemed like they were really, really sending us a message You know, when you hear them, they almost sound like they're playful a little bit. You can really get the sense that they're kind of like down on their paws just through the way they're howling. The coyotes reminded Fran of how playful her father had been, especially back when he and her mom were both healthy. And then she realized that's how she wanted to approach his death. You don't have to be so serious. You know, you can let laughter in. And that just broke the ice for us. That just allowed us to honor my father in, in his, you know, sarcastic, humorous way. We were playing music my father never would have approved of. I didn't have to have classical music on, so I could let myself shine through a little bit more with my own choices and not worry about what he was going to say now, even though he's in the house. After three days of keeping his body at home, Fran hosted a celebration in honor of her dad. The house was packed with people, and Heather was there too. In one corner of the living room, friends decorated a large sheet of cardboard that would later become the coffin. 
They covered it with phrases and images that reminded them of Larry. God is love, infinity, symbol, rainbow colors, musical notes, palm trees. The earth does not belong to us, we belong to the earth. Larry lay in the next room with the door closed. Some people didn't go in. Fran hadn't even told them he was there. She thought they'd freak out. Others slipped in for a visit. On the fourth day, it was time for Fran to take her father to the crematorium. It took the entire family to maneuver the coffin into a rented van. But the hardest part for Fran was letting the body go. It wasn't until we let go of the body at that moment that it just was like, he's leaving us, we'll never see him again. That was the first time I cried. Having her father's body at home for days let Fran grieve at her own pace, in her own way. You have an opportunity to go in the room and spend time with them, not just from 2 to 4 and 7 to 9. You know, you can wake up before you brush your teeth in the morning and go and say, hey, Pa, how you doing? Fran's mother died five months later. She'd been suffering with dementia. Fran took the same steps to care for her. That extra time was precious. For both my parents, it was their hands that were just so unique to them, whether they were bringing you a plate of food, opening the door from you, hugging you, just all the times that you see their hands in passing and don't think anything about it, now they're here in front of you and you know your time is limited to see the every wrinkle and how the shape of their fingernail is and how their ring fits on their finger and what their knuckles look like. Saying goodbye this way was a huge effort, but it gave Fran time to appreciate every bit of who her parents were. In Falmouth, Massachusetts, I'm Abby Madan. That was the send-off. Uh, you can find a link to her other note in the show notes. And that was it for this episode of Selects. So if you want to give these creators any feedback... Uh, please do so. Go to selects.show to vote for your favorite piece, and the creator with the most votes by May 15th will win $100 in a small bundle of audio-related prizes uh, that were generously provided to us as gifts. Uh, so we have Isotopes RX Elements plugin, uh, which I personally use to clean up noise. So we've also got a one-year subscription to Hindenburg Journalist Pro, and then a free hour of Trent audio transcription And as a thank you for people who vote and provide creators some feedback, you'll receive a three-month subscription to Hindenburg Journalist Pro, and one lucky voter will also receive an hour of that Trent automated transcription. So yeah, please vote, please give people some feedback, and please submit a piece or a clip of a piece uh, for next month or an upcoming episode. And uh, that's it, so have a great day. I'm Ben Kiebrick, and this was Selects.